Well, hi there and welcome. My name is Dr. Lara Greenfield of laragreenfield.com and you are listening to my podcast, Let's Talk Facilitation, where I offer practical solutions to everyday challenges in the college classroom. Specifically, I help introverted college educators develop unstoppable courage and transformative class facilitation skills in order to engage students equitably and advance social justice powerfully. Today, I'm talking all about how to facilitate a discussion when you're teaching your class online. In particular, I'm going to address two of the biggest challenges that facilitators struggle with when making the switch from an in-person to an online environment. That is, creating an equitable opportunity for everyone to participate and figuring out how to read the room. I'm going to share with you exactly what to do to get your students interacting and using their voices during your remote discussion, so you don't have to be stuck with the frustration of talking to yourself in front of a bunch of empty screens. I'm also going to give you a step-by-step game plan for deciphering students' level of understanding, interest, mood, and other important information that students often communicate through nonverbal cues that are much easier to pick up on in person than over the computer. By the end of this episode, you are going to have specific tools to get all of this same information from your students over Zoom that you're used to gathering in person with a new and effective set of online adaptations. I'm also going to give you some tips about what to do when, despite all your best efforts, students still just don't want to engage. I chose this topic today because more college educators than ever before are teaching their classes remotely. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit, educators almost everywhere had to make an abrupt switch to teaching online. And at the time I'm recording this episode, more than two years now since the start of the pandemic, while many colleges and universities have returned to primarily in-person classes, many online options are still available to students and may very well persist past the end of the pandemic as the convenience of online teaching and learning has become a relied upon staple in our education culture. Despite how many educators are now teaching through Zoom and Google Hangouts and other online meeting platforms, very few of us ever received formal training in online pedagogy. Most of us were simply thrown into the deep end and forced to figure out how to swim on our own. Figuring out how to navigate the technology of online teaching has required such a huge portion of our energy that even after several semesters of doing this work, many educators still feel frustrated and lost in their attempts to recreate the successes they had in leading in-person class discussions in an environment where there is sometimes no way really to even know if the student is present behind the computer. 
I definitely remember feeling worried when I taught my first college class online. As you can well imagine, I love facilitating class discussions, and I've spent my career building a repertoire of creative strategies that make full use of the space, the furniture, hands-on materials, and our bodies, and I've learned how to be especially attuned to reading the energy of a group. How on earth was I going to teach a class online with all of those tools stripped away? Despite my concern, I did find a way. And across multiple terms, I perfected those strategies and came to love the unique opportunities the online environment affords. In fact, I grew to love teaching online so much that I was inspired to launch my own online education business, Facilitation with Laura Greenfield, PhD. So this episode is for you if you've been struggling with the challenge of creating an equitable opportunity for all of your students to participate over Zoom. It's for you if you've got Zoom windows with attentive people's faces, but also empty screens and ghosts who may or may not even be listening. It's also for you if you've got lots of people willing to share their ideas in the chat, but less willing to turn on their mics and use their voices aloud. This episode is for you if you realize that students may be reluctant to unmute because they are in noisy spaces or they don't want to turn their cameras on for any number of understandable reasons, but you nevertheless experience that your discussions are less free-flowing and you end up talking to yourself a lot of the time. You're frustrated at the situation and frustrated that the discussions aren't leading to much new insight. So if that sounds like you, grab a pen and paper and get ready for the plan I'm going to share with you to increase your student participation and to read the room over Zoom. Now, if you don't have a pen and paper handy, or you'd really just like to listen in and review the game plan later, I've created a free checklist for you to download, which covers all of the steps I'm going to discuss to get your students engaged online. So at the end of the episode, head over to lauragreenfield.com forward slash online checklist for your online engagement action plan. Now let's get started. First, let's tackle the challenge of lecturing to a bunch of blank squares on your screen. In other words, what do you do when students aren't turning their cameras on? Well, it may seem counterintuitive, but I'm going to argue that you should not require them to keep their cameras on. Instead, I want you to give your students the option of keeping their camera on or off. So why not require it? If having all these cameras off is causing so much trouble in getting a discussion going, why not just require for student participation that they have their cameras on? Well, there's a number of reasons why requiring a student to have their camera on can actually be disruptive and even harmful to your overall goals and to the students. First of all, students come from all different circumstances, have all different housing, all different spaces that they are doing their work from, 
And sometimes these are spaces that they are not comfortable sharing publicly. So being required to turn on their camera can feel intrusive, it can feel embarrassing, and it may create a distraction from other things that are happening in their home environment that they don't want to share. It's different than being in person where we all may be looking at each other, but depending on the way the room is set up, we might not be looking directly at each other's faces, or we may be glancing around at different faces and then down at our desk and so forth throughout the class. We don't usually have a whole group of students staring directly at our face the whole time. But because of the layout of a computer screen and the gallery view that many of the online platforms we use provide, we are more likely to have a lot of people staring at us directly. And that can be really anxiety producing for a lot of students. In addition, the requirement to have your camera on can simply be exhausting. A lot of us at this point in the pandemic have Zoom fatigue. We are on Zoom all day for classes, for meetings, for check-ins, for appointments, and staring at a computer again and again can be exhausting. Having people looking at us for hours at on end can be exhausting. In addition, Many of us want to move our bodies around. We need to fidget and having an audience for that all of the time can be a bit much. So if you are instead going to give the students the option to have their camera on or off, what do you do to encourage them to make the choice to turn their camera on? First, I want you to make it easy for your students to be on camera. And what that means is I want you to be deliberate in how you set up the expectations for what happens on camera that doing it is easeful. For example, you might say to the students that you would love to see their beautiful faces while you are facilitating class and that doing so makes it easier to engage with one another, but that you understand there are reasons why they may need to turn their cameras off. However, if they do keep their cameras on, you are perfectly happy if they need to eat a snack or a meal while you are talking. You are perfectly happy if they need to stand up and stretch on camera, or even if they need to pace around the room, they can have their camera on without sitting still with their face up against the screen. Um, and it's okay if they need to pop in and out, have their camera on for a bit, turn it off because they need to tend to something, or they just need a break from being on screen and turn it on again and so forth. So let them know that they have flexibility. They have control over how they want to be on camera. Another way to make students more likely to choose to turn their camera on is if you build in intentional camera breaks throughout the class. So rather than having students have to have their cameras on 
through the entire class period, you can think about ways to break it up into segments. So for example, you might, part of the way through the class, invite students to turn their cameras off for five minutes to do some free writing in response to a question. Or you might strategically build in a video clip that you play as part of the class and invite students to turn off their cameras while they watch the video clip. Or perhaps as part of the discussion, you invite students to turn off their cameras while you share your screen and walk them through some materials that you look at together. Or you could simply build in break time part of the way through the class and tell everyone to turn their cameras off, take a break for five or 10 minutes, um, and then come back to the group to continue a discussion. Having these breaks built in throughout the class provides students not only with time away from the camera to regroup and get the nerve back up to come back on, but it psychologically breaks up the time. So it doesn't feel like you're just staring at a screen all afternoon, but really that you're very strategically coming in and out to do various things for various purposes. How else might you encourage your students to choose to turn on their cameras during the discussion? One important approach is to structure your class in such a way that students recognize it is advantageous to them to be on camera. So for example, being on camera is an excellent way to build connection and a sense of belonging with your peers in the class. So you wanna think about how can you create opportunities for students to build connection intentionally? Well, here's some ideas. One, at the beginning of the semester, encourage students to introduce themselves on camera. You can set aside a significant portion of time in that first or second class for students to go around and with their cameras on, talk about who they are, what makes them tick, what is bringing them to this class, anything else that they care to share. That way, students are starting to get to know one another. They can put a face to a name, to a story, and start to build relationships. Another way of encouraging students to build community and have their camera on is as part of these self-introductions or as a separate community building activity during another class period, you can host a show and tell where each student takes a turn talking about some item that they share with the camera that is important to them. Now this doesn't have to be something connected to the class, though if there is an obvious theme that you want to draw on, by all means go ahead. But you can simply ask students to pick something from their dorm room or from their home that is meaningful to them that they wanna talk about. When I have done this, students have identified all sorts of interesting items from photographs to plants to knickknacks of all kinds to keepsakes. 
Um, and having the opportunity to get to know one another in this kind of way is a little different than they might be used to in other classes. And also because of the show and tell nature compels them to turn their camera on. Now doing these kinds of activities at the beginning of the semester gets them used to being on camera and talking on camera so that it starts to feel normal. And they are more likely therefore throughout the semester then to continue to do it. Another opportunity for community building online would be to host check-ins at the beginning of each class period. So a check-in is where you go person to person and check in about how you're doing. So you might ask students in general, how is their day going? How are they feeling today? Or maybe how are they doing with class so far? Whatever they want to share and that helps create a sense of community and to really humanize the experience that people recognize they're more than just students in a classroom, but that we have full lives and feelings beyond our class. And they can start to get to know one another in that kind of way as well. And therefore, because they start to know one another, they develop familiarity, they develop trust, and then they're more likely to be courageous to turn their cameras on throughout other parts of the discussion. A variation of this check-in activity would be once a student checks in with the group, they then are responsible to call on the next student who's going to speak to check in. And the way they do that would be looking at the screen and identifying somebody who's waving their hand on camera, indicating that they're ready to speak. And this is a strategy that encourages students to interact with one another rather than only with you as the professor facilitating, but it also compels them to keep their camera on because they know that their peers are going to be looking for raised hands to see who to call on next. Now, if you are facilitating a large class over Zoom and you're thinking, nice idea, Laura, but there is no way I would have time to do a check-in with 150 students in my class. There's just no time. It is not practical. Well, don't worry, I've got your back. Rather than doing a one-by-one -one check-in, you can pose questions to the entire group and the entire group on camera raises their hand to signal a yes in response to the question. So for example, you might say to the class, how many people here got more than five hours of sleep last night? And people raise their hands. And then you might ask, how many of you, is this your first class of the day? and then students raise their hands. Or you could come up with more fun things like how many people here like pineapple on pizza and you raise your hands. You could also come up with questions that rather than are yes or no, could be um, a yes, no, or a maybe, or a sort of. So is the food on campus good? Thumbs up, thumbs down, or you know, to the side? 
Do you like to play in the snow? Thumbs up, thumbs down, or to the side? So these are ways to still get to know one another, to be a little fun and come up with some creative icebreakers, but also to engage students visually because in order to participate in the activity, you have to have your camera on so that the professor and the classmates can see your hand raised or see your thumb up and down. Another activity to build connection and compel the use of the camera would be to think of fun activities you can build into the class throughout the term that don't necessarily take away from time spent discussing the content of the course, but still build in a framework that allows for a bit of fun and the use of cameras. So for example, you might designate a certain class period rather than a class meeting, you might call it the Friday fireside chat and encourage everybody to show up on Zoom in their comfiest sweater with a big blanket wrapped around them, a hot mug of coffee or tea or hot chocolate. And we're gonna conduct the discussion as though we are sitting around the fire having a nice chat. Or for example, you might come up with something where you are going to conduct the discussion like a toast and everybody should bring a glass of sparkling cider or orange juice or something that we are going to make a toast at the end of the discussion uh, to the good work everyone did. Or maybe you'll have a day where it's dress up day or dress down day and everybody is meant to show up on zoom in their pajamas or dressed up like a character in a book you're discussing or maybe you have a day that's bring your pet to school day and you encourage anyone who's got a pet at home or in their dorm to bring that pet to introduce to the class and to join us on camera so there's countless types of activities along these lines that you can think of that just create a little bit of visual interest and fun that might motivate someone to want to have their camera on and then keep it on as you continue a discussion. So overall, what I'm encouraging you to do is think about low stakes opportunities for students to get on camera and get comfortable with being together and talking to one another on camera. Another strategy to encourage students to turn their cameras on is for you to be honest about the challenge of using the camera and being vulnerable and candid yourself about how you experience being on camera. So talk about what it's been like for you being on the other side of the table, such as at faculty meetings or appointments where you're not the facilitator and you're having to make the decision about whether to turn the the camera on. So talk about what's challenging to you. Talk about what engages you. Talk about what's distracting to you. So the students recognize, one, that you get it. If they can't have their cameras on, you understand. But if they do have their cameras on, they see that you appreciate it. You know that it can be hard and you value their effort to participate in your class in that way. Now, if you find yourself, despite your best efforts, doing all of these strategies, but still at the end of the day, you are lecturing to a blank screen, 
Here's a few things I want you to do. One, mentally imagine that you are speaking to just one of the students. So rather than sitting there awkwardly talking to a class that is just in your imagination on the other side of the computer, it can be helpful just to think of one person and one person in particular and imagine you're having a phone call with that person and it can make it feel a little less awkward and artificial. A different way to think about it would be to imagine that you're making a recording for the radio or for TV or on a podcast. In other words, imagine that you are engaging in mass communication, which never really has a real-time direct audience interaction. So rather than thinking that you're supposed to be interacting with people and the half of the group isn't doing their role, Instead, approach this as though this is what it's supposed to be, that you are in fact delivering a monologue to an audience that is going to hear you at a different time or in a different space. And it's just a psychological trick to you to not be psyched out in the process. Another approach, if you're really just stuck and students aren't talking, is to send them into breakout groups. Put them into small groups, have them talk with one another, pop in from group to group, and take some of the pressure off of you to have to talk awkwardly to a group that isn't really talking back. And finally, have students share the burden with you. You do not have to be the only one facilitating an online class. Rather, come up with assignments for your students to give short presentations. Have individual students facilitate class for a few minutes. Have students get into small groups and co-facilitate a class period now and again. In other words, build in opportunities for them to carry some of the weight and for them to learn to empathize with you and what you experience as a facilitator so that they're maybe a little more inclined to turn their camera on out of a kindness to you when the tables are turned. Now, having cameras on is one thing, but getting students actually actively engaged and participating is another. So I'm gonna share with you now the best tool I have used to get students actively talking, actively engaged with the material, interacting with what I have created online just as well, if not better than if we were together in person. So this involves a number of steps and each of the steps is important to the overall outcome. So I want you to pay attention to the specific details that I'm gonna share so that you can bring those in if you choose to use this approach as well. So the first step of my process is to strategically send students to breakout rooms for part of the discussion. Now, what is key about sending students to these breakout rooms is to not simply put them in a group, give them a discussion prompt, and send them off for anything to happen. This is not an anything goes moment. Rather, I want you to structure these small group discussions very deliberately. And the first part of that structure is to create specific roles for each student participant in those small groups. So some examples of roles that I have used are a facilitator. So one person is designated as the facilitator of the group and is meant to share the prompts with the group, 
keep the group talking, making sure everyone who wants to speak has a turn, perhaps nudging the students who are quiet off camera to jump in, and really are taking charge of making sure that discussion happens. Another role that you can create for the students is timekeeper. So when you send the students off into the small groups, you let them know how much time they have for the discussion and when you're going to come back as a full group. And perhaps if there's a number of questions you're asking them to explore, you might identify approximately how much time you want to spend on each one. So the timekeeper's job is to pay attention to the time, keep track of it, and remind the group periodically throughout the discussion where they are in the timeline and if they are running behind time and need to move forward, they can be a partner to the facilitator and letting the facilitator know that so the facilitator can keep things moving. Another role for the participants is the scribe. So the scribe's job is to take notes on the discussion, to create a written record. Depending on the nature of that group, it might be written notes, it might be some sort of table or chart or graph or image that the group creates. Whatever needs to be documented throughout the discussion, the scribe takes on. And finally, another role is the reporter. And so this is the student who is agreeing to synthesize and distill the most important ideas from the discussion and share those ideas back with the large class when the full group comes back together to debrief. Now, depending on the nature of your class and the discussions, there might be other roles that you come up with as well. Once you have identified these roles and sent students off into the group, the other important piece of this is creating some kind of shared resource that everyone can access and view and revise all together at the same time. So one of the simplest tools for that purpose is a shared Google Doc. And so what I do is prior to class, I create a Google Doc and in that Google Doc, I write the questions or I provide the table that each group is filling out. There's some kind of visual prompt to give to the students that they can work from without me physically present there. And part of what is covered on that document is a place for each group to write which student is taking on which role. So it's not just a suggestion that students take these roles, but rather their first item of business when they go into those breakout rooms is to choose among themselves who is going to do which role. And then whoever chose to be the scribe writes those names down on that Google Doc. Now this is one Google Doc that the entire class shares. So in the document, there's a space for each group to write their roles. And so this way, they're accountable to one another as well because they can see what the other groups are doing as they are writing. Now another thing that I put in the Google Doc is the questions for discussions as well as space for notes. So the scribe can jot down notes about the answers to the questions that come up or perhaps some themes that emerge or areas of disagreement within the group, whatever the big takeaways are from the discussion. 
There's space to write those. Depending on the discussion topics, sometimes there's a chart that they fill out or a table of some kind that they complete. Um, you decide what makes sense given your goals for the class. Now, the final really important piece of this Google Doc is at the end for each group, there is a place for the group to share praise. And this is specifically an expression of thanks for the contributions from each person in the group. In other words, after the group finishes their discussion, together they're gonna identify at least one thing that they appreciate that each member of the group did in that discussion. And so that might look like saying, I really appreciate that so-and-so felt timid but spoke up anyways in the group. I really appreciate that so-and-so did an excellent job keeping us focused and on track. I really appreciated that so-and-so was vulnerable and shared a personal story that was really meaningful and moving to the group, and so on. Now, having the opportunity to express thanks, to express praise for their classmates serves several important purposes. First, it's a great bonding opportunity. Everyone loves to be appreciated and to be publicly acknowledged. And the act of doing that builds good feelings among the classmates and, and builds those bonds. Also, knowing that at the end of the discussion, there's going to be the opportunity to express that praise can be motivating to students to want to participate who might otherwise have defaulted to sitting back and disengaging. Knowing that people are going to be looking for something positive to say about them can be a positive sort of pressure to take the effort to, to engage in that discussion. Now, after the small breakout groups have met, it's important then to come back to the large group. And there are different ways that you can transition from the small group to the large group discussions. Sometimes educators will have a member of each group share out briefly what each group discussed in their small groups. I have found those moments to be less helpful because the groups often are focused more on what they were discussing and are a little less interested in what everyone else said. Um, and it can be kind of boring just listening to everyone summarize their discussions. And so instead, a variation of this might be, rather than sharing out a summary, having each group pose a question that emerged for them in their small group discussion that they are still wrestling with. And by posing that question to the larger group, they then invite the large group to weigh in on their answers to such a question and really keep a discussion moving forward. Now, the benefits of doing this process the small group discussions structured in the specific way I just shared and then transitioning to the large group is that it prevents students from being passive. It gives them clear and concrete explanations or instructions for how to participate. It provides opportunity for different kinds of participation depending on the individual student's energy, interests, and needs in that moment. 
And the anticipation of praise, as I mentioned at the end, motivates engagement leading up to that moment. And the public reporting about that activity, about the questions that emerge, creates a a sort of positive peer pressure to engage deliberately. Now let's say you do all of these things, but students just still aren't engaging despite your best efforts. I want you to keep in mind a few things. One is that online learning can be exhausting and students have things going on in their lives that are calling their attention and taking their energy that's far beyond what you will ever know or be able to control. So I encourage you when students aren't engaging to the degree that you would like to cut them a little bit of slack, recognize they're human and decide for yourself that you know what, it's okay. Second, I want you to remember that teaching online isn't the same thing as teaching in person. So rather than trying to replicate an in-person discussion, allow for it to be different and instead take advantage of the options that are unique to the online platform. In other words, don't judge an online discussion by in-person terms. Finally, let's look at the third challenge, how to read the room over Zoom. I'm gonna give you a bunch of suggestions for how to do this, but all of these suggestions fall under two broad umbrellas. One umbrella is to simply take more time than you would in person to assess the vibe of the space or the mood or the needs or the unspoken messages that students are sending. Give yourself more time. The other is to ask explicitly about things you would ordinarily simply assume based on visual cues. So let's look at what that means concretely. One of the things that facilitators need to do when they're reading a room is identify who wants to speak. Now in person, it might be easy to see a hand go up in your peripheral vision and immediately call on that person and sort of trust what your eye picks up in in a group. On screen, it's harder to do that. And so rather than jumping at the first hand that catches your eye on the screen, I want you to take the time to actually look from box to box to make sure you're not actually missing someone whose hand is raised um, and maybe it's just not as easily seen on camera, their gesture is a little subtle, the lighting makes it hard to see um, that you might not have noticed. So give yourself the time. Now it can feel awkward because the pacing of this is different than it would be in an in-person discussion. That is okay. But if you're feeling particularly self-conscious and you just can't stand it, go ahead and say outright to the class, I want to make sure that I'm not missing anyone who wants to speak, so I'm going to be moving a little more slowly as I scan the screen to check to make sure I'm not missing anyone. And that way, everyone knows what's going on. Another strategy 
for determining who wants to speak is to ask the class to alert you if you don't see a hand raised. There are times where I have done my best to scan the whole screen and I haven't seen a hand raised and I have just gone on talking and a very helpful student unmutes their mic and flags me down and says, so-and-so has their hand raised. They wanted to say something. And I am so grateful that somebody pointed it out. So you can ask the class to take on that role and alert you if somebody wants to talk and you don't notice. Finally, a different way to signal that students want to talk would be to put their name in the chat. And so you can invite students to have a running cue in the chat. And when they want to have something to say, they write their name in the chat and you can continuously glance over there and call on names as you see them appear. Another reason we need to read the room as facilitators is to determine whether or not students are understanding what we're saying or what is coming out of the discussion. Different from in-person discussions, it's harder to rely on students' facial expressions or nods because they are so much smaller on our screen. So instead, we can think about requesting bigger visual cues for students to send us that message. And so we might explicitly request for students to give us a thumbs up, a thumbs down, a hands raised or a hands down in response to our question soliciting their level of understanding. Now, it might be tempting to simply say, does everyone understand? But I found this kind of question is less effective because students who don't understand are going to feel self-conscious about being the first one to raise their hand in the air to signal that. So instead, you can think about variations on this question that are a little less revealing uh, to the students from their perspective. So for example, you might ask, is everybody ready to move on or should we spend a little more time discussing this topic? And so if students are ready to move on, it's a hands up um, or it's a thumbs up. If we want to discuss it more, it's a thumbs down, whatever cue you determine. A different question might be to ask the students, what questions do you still have? and invite the students to verbalize them or maybe put those questions in the chat. And then when you see or hear those questions, you can discuss them a little further to make sure everybody is caught up in their understanding. And finally, another reason we need to read the room as facilitators is to figure out whether students are interested and engaged with what's going on or if they're getting bored. Um, if they want to keep going with what's going on or they're ready to move on from what's happening. In other words, we need to be able to read that energy and the needs of the group as a whole. And that's so much harder to do online than it is in person where you can almost feel in the air the energy and you can see through your scanning of the space, all the body language and the sounds in the space. And it's just much harder to pick up on that online, but you can still get that information. So some of the ways to do that would be to pause periodically and do an explicit check-in. In other words, you might say to the students, should we stay on this point or should we move on to the next topic? 
and do a poll by a show of hands who wants to stay and who wants to move forward. Or you might ask, you know, do people need more time to think or should we just dive right in? Or you might ask questions like, how's your energy level right now? Or who's feeling good right now? Or who's feeling tired right now? How many people are feeling frustrated? Who's confused? Um, Questions that solicit a little bit more about how they're experiencing the moment as opposed to what they're thinking or what they want to do. And with that, you can ask for a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a thumb sideways, whatever you determine. Okay, we are coming down to the, to the end of this discussion, but before I wrap up, I want to review your game plan. I covered a lot of different strategies, and I want to make sure you've got a, a clear plan in place to move forward. So first, to get more students to turn on their cameras, I want you to make it optional. I want you to make it easy for them to do so by giving them screen breaks and flexibility about what they do on camera. I also want you to make it advantageous from their perspective to be on camera by creating opportunities for connection with you and other students in the form of self-introductions, show-and-tells, check-ins, group polls, or other fun activities with garments and props on screen. I also want you to humanize the experience for them by being candid about your experience on Zoom so that they know you appreciate when they get on. And if you find yourself, despite your best efforts, lecturing to a blank screen, simply mentally imagine you're speaking to only one of your students or that you are recording a speech for radio or TV or send them into breakout groups and have them share the burden of helping to facilitate the discussion so that it's not all on you and they can empathize with you. When you wanna get your students engaged and actively participating, the plan is to send your students into breakout rooms by creating roles for their participation, such as a facilitator, a timekeeper, a scribe, or a reporter. You're gonna give them a shared Google Doc with a list of questions for each group to fill out, and the scribe in particular is the one to do so. And those questions include who is going to take on which role, what are the discussion prompts, and you're gonna provide space for notes on the answers, or a chart or a table of some sort to fill out. And importantly, at the end, you're gonna create a place for the group to express praise or thanks for the contributions of each group member. And finally, you're gonna bring the whole class back together for a large group discussion based on the questions generated by those small group discussions. If your students are still not engaging, despite all of these strategies, you're gonna keep in mind a few things. You're gonna keep in mind that online learning can be exhausting and you're gonna cut your students some slack. And you're also gonna remember that teaching online isn't the same as teaching in person. So rather than trying to replicate an in-person discussion, you're gonna allow for it to be different. Finally, when it's time to read the room, you're gonna take two broad approaches. You are going to take more time to assess the vibe of the group by looking around, scanning your screen, taking the time you need to take in the information. 
and you're going to ask explicitly about things you would ordinarily assume based on the visual cues. And those are things such as, who wants to speak? If the students are understanding, and if the students are interested and engaged or bored and ready to move forward. I want to remind you, I've created a free checklist for you to download, which covers all of the steps I've just outlined to get your students engaged online. So as you're getting ready to lead your next Zoom class, you can use this checklist to prepare your agenda and double check that you have covered all your bases to create the possibility for as engaged an experience as possible. So head over to lauragreenfield.com forward slash online checklist to get a copy of your online engagement action plan. Thank you so much for listening in today. And until next time, happy teaching.